Hebrews chapter 3, I'll start in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, testifying to what, uh, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing and in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those that Moses led out of Egypt and, and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of the entering his of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen Short of it. I want you to notice how chapter 3 and 4 begin. They both begin with the word therefore. Therefore, it's conjunction, right? He's saying, listen, because of what I've already showed you, you need to listen to what I'm about to say. These two are connected. And what's connected is the fact that Jesus is a better deliverer. And why is Jesus a better deliverer? Because he's better than Moses altogether. And that's the argument he makes now in chapter 3. He says, listen, Jesus has, is better than Moses. And that's our lesson today. And I really just have three things I want to show you. And, and here's the first, okay? I want you to understand that Jesus is better than Moses because Jesus holds a, a better office than Moses. Jesus holds a better office than Moses. Now, in the history of the United States of America, we have had 47 vice presidents. You know that? 47 vice presidents. Uh, from men like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt to guys like Dan Quayle and Al Gore and Dick Cheney, right? I mean, kind of different ends of the spectrum, I'm saying, but, but still. It's a big deal to be the vice president of the United States of America. Only 47 people in the history of our country have ever risen to that office. Now, now I want you to hear me. That's an important office. That, that, that's an office of, of honor, okay? The problem is that of those 47 men, we tend to only remember 14 of them. You know which 14? The ones that ascended from vice president to actually become president. 
And here's the deal, though, though it's important and though it's a, it's a highly esteemed office, though, though it's a great honor to be the vice president of the United States of America, the truth is that there is a higher office, isn't there? And that office is one of, of higher importance. Those are the men that are remembered, those people that are president of the United States. We, we often forget the vice presidents. I want you to hear me in a greater godlier way. That's the point that our author is making. I want you to see that Moses held a great office. This is not a knock on Moses. Moses held an important office. He held an office of honor. His most famous speech, let my people go, right? His greatest contribution, the law. I mean, are you kidding? I mean, I mean, great structure for his people. The people have never forgotten him. He is renowned and revered in Jewish culture, right? He's the deliverer. He is the lawgiver. He is the friend of God. He's the one that spoke with God face to face as as a man speaks with a friend. So much so that when he would leave the tent of meeting, his face would glow, right? His, His face would shine. They could see the physical radiance of God's glory in this man's face. It's kind of a big deal. So much so he had to like create a little veil, veil his face so he didn't freak people out. It's a high office. It's an office of honor. But listen, as our author says, he says, listen, just just listen, just look at this. Listen, just just think about this one. That's what verse one is saying is therefore, holy brothers who share in heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He said, just listen, just just look at him. Just think about this with me for one second. I want you to think about Jesus and I want you to think about his office. And he gives us two things that Jesus is. I want you to think about him as apostle. And I want you to think about him as high priest. It's really important. It's, it's not just apostle and high priest. It's actually the apostle and the high priest. King James Version does a, does a great uh, translation of this. They capitalize them in their text. And they should rightly be capitalized. And so what does that mean? What is an apostle? Well, apostle means delegate. It means messenger. It means one that is sent with, with orders, right? A delegate, a messenger, one sent with orders. Now, now, while that word certainly works for Moses and it works for Peter and it works for Paul and it works for countless other church leaders, it finds its true fulfillment in Jesus, the one that was sent with the ultimate orders, right? The ultimate orders to proclaim good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom to the captives and release uh, from darkness the prisoners, the one that was born to save men from their sins, the one born to die in man's place. There are other apostles, but Jesus is the apostle. He's the one sent with the greatest orders of all to seek and save the lost and to to rescue the perishing. He's the apostle. But he's more than that. He's also the high priest. A high priest is kind of cool. I mean, this literally means chief priest. It's not real hard. You look it up, Greek, Hebrew, kind of means the same thing. Chief priest. But the cool thing is if you kind of read about the chief priest, it says some things. It says, now listen, the chief priest, it was lawful for him to perform all kinds of common duties. And so he could do the job of other priests, right? Which is kind of cool because I think about Jesus and I think about 33 years here on earth. And I think about all the common things he did. And he broke bread and he drank wine and he sat and he ate and he laughed, right? And, and I, I mean, you, you think about all of who Jesus is and you think, wow, that's pretty cool. Jesus, Jesus came and did the common things amongst us. But the chief goal of the high priest is something so much greater, so much godlier. It's to offer atonement for the sins of the people. That was his job. And of course, we know Moses actually didn't even have that office. That office belonged to Aaron. Aaron was the chief priest, not Moses. Moses begged for the people. uh, He begged on behalf of the people before God, but he wasn't the chief priest. He wasn't the one that was in charge of making atonement. 
And even Aaron, when he did offer atonement, he did it with the blood of bulls and goats. And Jesus did it with his own blood. Sinless, spotless man, God, shed his blood once and for all that we might be forgiven. Forever atonement, Jesus is better, right? And so our author begins, he says, listen, I'm not trying to burst your bubble. I'm not trying. And you've got to hear me, guys. We're not knocking on Moses. Moses, I mean, our author, he loves Moses. He's like, Moses is awesome. Moses has held a great office. But I'm telling you, he's not Jesus. He's not Jesus. That's the first point our author makes. Moses held a high office, office of honor, but Jesus holds a much higher office. He's the apostle, the high priest. Number two, second reason. Jesus is better because he does better work than Moses. He does better work than than Moses, right? This is verse two through through six. It says he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Key phrase, verse 2 and 5, in all God's house. Moses was faithful where? In all God's house. Where was Jesus faithful? As son over all God's house. Son over. Moses is a faithful worker in. Jesus is is faithful over God's house. And and the example that they give is, is here's the difference of importance. It's the difference between the house itself and the one who built it. Which one is of more honor? The sticks and the stones? The mud? The straw? Or the guy that that built it? That sweat sweat blood tears the whole thing? It's the difference between the materials and the master. The product and the one that crafts it. It's a difference. And I'd, I'd encourage you, if, if, if you want to know that kind of difference, just try to think about any of the modern, modern marvels we have in our world today. One of the favorite trips uh, Hope and I have ever taken was um, we went to San Francisco during a very difficult time in our lives. And it was a very difficult uh, time in, in some of our friends' lives. And uh, it, was just, it was just the circumstances around the trip were very difficult. And then we got there and it was just kind of like, ah, oh, we got to forget about all of it for a little bit. And, and, and I just loved so many things, especially the food. We won't talk about how much sourdough I ate. It's not right to eat that much sourdough. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was sin. Um, but, but other parts of the trip were so good. And I remember as we, were, we drove out to uh, see Golden Gate Bridge. And Golden Gate Bridge is just gorgeous. It is amazing. We kind of pulled up off in a little area so we could get out and take pictures. And we're looking there at, at the bay. And, of course, if you take a tour, like our tour guide said 50 million times, the city by the bay. Like, I, I get it. It's a bay, man. I understand, right? So, but coming in off the bay that morning fog is kind of rolling in and the bridge is just standing there and the sun is coming and it was just like oh i was like man this is cool and i had to get out we're taking pictures like like it was believe it or not it was back before phones had decent like cameras on them like i think i still had a blackberry people i know young ones that's hurting you that's hard to imagine so we actually had real cameras yeah, I know, I know, it's crazy. Like, you couldn't dial on them or anything. And you had to get out and snap the picture. And, we're, right, and Which was really hard for selfies, because you couldn't see yourself. You're like, ah! And then you take it and look like, oh, I missed myself. It would take forever to take a good selfie with those cameras. And so we, we get out, we take all our pictures, and we do our thing. 
But I'm going to tell you, it wasn't until we actually went on a tour of San Francisco later and we learned some of the history about Golden Gate Bridge that it all began to make sense. You see, that bridge was built over a course of four years. So many people worked on it, so many different companies worked on it, that they lost track of all of the the different numbers of men that that poured themselves into it. Uh, At one point, it was the safest safest construction project that had ever really been entered into. Uh, They were about a year in, and they'd only seen one death in the bridge, but one day a scaffold fell. Fell through, it broke through all the netting. Uh, Ten men died that day. Eleven men died overall building the bridge. There were 19 men as they worked on the bridge that made it into a very special club. It's called the Halfway to Hell Club. They fell off the structure while working, but there was safety netting that they had strewn all underneath, and they landed in that netting and stuck. (laughs) Praise God. When you begin to think about the architecture You think about all the steel and all the cables and how all that was put together. Suddenly, when you look at the structure, it's not just the structure that you marvel at, but rather it's the lives that went into building the structure that you marvel at. You follow me? The men who built it are of greater honor than the structure themselves. And the same is true for us. Friends, we look at the church and we think, oh, gosh, it's so pretty. Well, guess what? The problem with you thinking that the church is pretty is that that's not the church. That's the gathering place where the church meets, right? The chandeliers may be nice and the press tin is cool, but this isn't a church. Church is the people. And without Jesus, there is no church because there are no saved people. Are you following me? Jesus is the way. And in himself, he provides the way. You see, Moses is a servant in the house of God, but it's because of Jesus that there is a house of God. That's the point. Jesus is better. He holds a better office. He does better work. He does better work. Brings us to the last point, okay? Jesus provides better rest. Jesus is better than Moses because he provides better rest. Now, Moses... Impressive leader, right? I mean, impressive leader. If you, if you want to study leadership, you go and you, you just the whole story, it, it just like the whole story, right? I mean, Moses goes to the most stubborn people on the face of the planet. Their name's the Israelites. By the way, if you're looking for who you are in the Bible, that's kind of who God says you are. Ha <laughs> ha, you're like the Israelites. You are stubborn, you are stiff-necked, you are hard-headed. Don't believe me, read the Bible better, okay? That's us, right? So Moses goes to these folks, and this is where he says, he says, listen, God spoke to me, it's pretty cool. I was out in the desert, tending sheep, big fire, but not really a fire. There was a bush on fire, but it wasn't on fire. And then came speaking to me out of the fire that wasn't really a fire, it was God. And God was saying, I've heard the cries of my people. You're going to go back to them, O Moses, and you're going to go and you're going to deliver them. So he shows up and goes, hey, this is what God says, and you need to follow me. And they go, ha, ha. Ah, yeah, right. So Moses says, no, seriously, you need to follow me. Check this out. And he takes his staff and he throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake and he picks it back up and it becomes a staff. And they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm still not following you, dude. And he's like, oh, really? Well, let me show you this. And he puts his hand in his cloak, right? He puts it in his cloak and he pulls it out and he's like, okay. You've never thought about how this looked before. Come, this was the first say what moment in the history of mankind. This is where all the rappers got it. Right? He put, pulls it out and it's leprous, right? And he puts it back in and he's like, what? You see that? You see, say, say what? You see that? Yeah, baby. You're going to follow me now? And they're like, uh, I guess we're going to, I guess we have no option. We're going to follow you now, right? Say what? And I was raised in the nineties. Cut me some slack. All right. So, so hear me. So, so hear me. 
Moses comes to those people and these stubborn, stiff-necked people and God works and they go to Pharaoh, let them go, I ain't going to let them go. Nile in the blood, let them go, I ain't going to let them go. Here come some flies, I ain't going to let them go. Here comes some flies. I mean, you go through the whole thing. Finally, they leave. Moses comes up to, to, and they leave, right? Pharaoh says, fine, go. And they, this is how stubborn and stiff-necked they are. They, they start to go and they get to the, they, they, they get to the, uh, the Nile, um, we're not the Nile, the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea, and now the people are like, what? Now you've just brought us out here to kill us? So, so parting of the Red Sea, they get to the other side of the Red Sea. What? Now we're just going to live in the desert? What, are we supposed to die here of thirst? Like, shut up, you stubborn, stiff-necked, spoiled, rotten people. If I were Moses, that's how it would have gone down. Now, follow me. I, did, I, I say all this so you can hear me. Moses eventually brings them to the edge of the promised land. They don't have the faith to enter because the people Canaan are too big. So God says, hey, you're going to you're going to die here. There's there's one word in all of Moses's ministry that you cannot use to describe his leadership. And that word is rest. From the time that he shows up to the to the Israelites and says, God has heard your cry to the time that he breathes his final breath. You cannot describe his life and ministry as rest. Now, a lot of that has to be put on the people, on the Israelites and their stubbornness. But ultimately, Moses is the reason Moses didn't get to enter the promised land. Moses is the reason that Moses didn't get to enter rest. Okay? And so we have Jesus. I need you to see this. This is huge because Jesus is so much better than Moses. I want you to hear his words. Let's look at this together. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You've got to see this. This is the new covenant. Jesus is saying, I am the promised land. I am the place of rest. Today is the day of salvation. You've got to come to me. If you come to me, you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, not just your feet. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Moses never had rest. He could never provide rest. But Jesus is our rest. He is our rest. And that's why he is so much better. Now, follow me. That's just the truths of this passage. See, there's also a warning or a call to action. Actually, I remember back in... In chapter 2, we said there were five places in the book of Hebrews that the author puts forth a warning, an admonition. This is the second of them. So here's where our application is going to come from. It's actually going to come straight from this text and the warning that the author writes. So here they are. Really, four things we need to do. Four warnings. I think there's four. Number one, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, therefore, because of all that Jesus is, therefore, because of all that we've already established, therefore, because of what we've already written, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest. It's saying, fix your thoughts on his life and his death and his mission. He's the apostle. He's the one sent with orders. To set the captives free, to return sight to the blind, to make the lame walk, to seek and save the lost. To set the captives free. You've got to think about that. I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're going to fix your thoughts on Jesus, that probably means that you've got to uh, get, a, get a, some junk out of the way. 
Because I know you think a lot of yourself, and I do too, and I always think that I have the capacity to take in a lot of information. The truth is I don't. Like, I cannot get Ice Ice Baby stuck out of my head from, like, the 90s. It's still there to this moment. Alan's like, oh, you should have never listened to that joke. You've got some in there, too. It's somebody else. Waylon Jennings. I mean, there's somebody in there you've got to get rid of, man. I'm telling you. What? All right? 90s. I'm telling you. Yes. Listen. Friends, we live in this culture where we take in so much stuff and none of it really matters. We, 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 we've come up with all these new ways to deliver stuff that, that is of no importance. Like, like, I'm so grateful unto God that I don't know what everybody on Facebook is talking about. Like, like everybody this week talking about Kim Kardashian and some kind of pictures. And I'm like, who gives a rip, right? Because Kim Kardashian is not, like, who cares? You know what I want? I want her to find Jesus. And I hope her dad remains a man. And, you know, whatever else is going on, like stepdad, whatever. I'm like, I, I don't care. I don't care what size dress you wear. I don't care how big your butt is or your boobs is. That doesn't matter. But we live in a culture that says it does. And we live in a culture that says that these people are of great importance. And that you need to pay attention to these things or somehow you're out. I want to be out. You follow me? I, w- I want to be out to the point that it becomes in. I want to be out to the point that I look at people and say, listen, I love you in Jesus' name, but the things that your life are consumed with are idiotic. But for that to happen, I've got to live that, friends. And my life sometimes is idiotic. You get caught up in it too, right? It's Kool-Aid. We know it's not good for us, right? But you take one sip and you're like, oh, that tastes so yummy. You just keep drinking it down. Listen to me. If you're going to fix your thoughts on Jesus, you've got to stop fixing them on other things. I, I, I just want to challenge you. Would you think about what you fix your thoughts on on a regular basis? Maybe you're fixing your thoughts on some kind of home. or I mean, you, you can go to TV. You can look at the Internet. Maybe you're fixing your thoughts on your phone because it never leaves your hand. You're looking for some kind of skin charger that your heartbeat will now charge your phone. I never have to leave the palm of my hand. Precious. Now, the sad thing is we think that that's funny. But in reality, it shows the sadness of our world today. How are you going to fix your thoughts on Jesus if they're constantly fixed on things that just don't matter? I'm just I'm just going to challenge you in that. Now, in a moment when we're done, I'm going to call you to a month of prayer. Maybe that month of prayer involves detaching the phone from your skin. I don't know. Number two. Open your heart to Jesus. Open your heart to Jesus. Verse 7 through 12. This this is straight from Scripture. Today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during that time of testing in the desert. Today, don't harden your hearts, right? That's the admonition. Today, open your hearts to Jesus. And the point is that, that we need to be moldable and not rigid. We need to give Jesus full access to our lives. And I, so I'm just going to ask you a question. I don't mean to hurt your, your, your feelings, although I'm, I hurt my own often before I ever hurt yours. So just in case you're thinking, hey, that is mean. I, I, God steps on my toes first, I promise. Uh, can you be described as set in your ways? Can you be described as, as rigid or stubborn or harsh, 
Because if that's how uh, you're described, that's probably not a good thing. God, God says today, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. And I'm going to challenge you. You read scripture, and when you read scripture, God's looking for, for moldability. He's looking for availability. He's looking for people that he can take and mold. And, and the opposite of that, the opposite of clay that can be molded is clay that's been left out and is hard as a rock. And time and time again, God says, I'm going to have to remove their heart of stone. I'm going to have to replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm going to have to replace it with something moldable that beats for me. And if you're, you're summarized as being uh, stubborn or, or hard or uh, any of those things, harsh, rigid, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, and and, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, I said this in the first service. I'm just going to brag, uh, you know, on our staff when I can. There was, there was a moment, a, a few, uh, just a couple of months ago, it wasn't long ago, that I was so... Uh, we're just, we're just talking, about, we're going through our week and we're going through like, hey, how does this look, you know? Because we feel like there's got to be some kind of structure and we don't just come up and go, hey, what do you want to play? What do you want? I don't know. Okay. I don't know what I'm going to preach. I'm just going to open the Bible and hear, baby, there's what the word says and there you go. Have a wonderful week. Doesn't work that way. Um, it may for some really smart guys. I'm not one of them. But we were in a, our meeting and we're talking about um, what I was going to preach on and and Alan came back to me, he goes, here's the songs. He's like, this is like breaking every rule I've ever set. Because, you know, there's so many songs that are written. There's like a million. I know that it's a new word. Um, there's like a million of them. And, and trying to figure out, like, what are we going to sing? And so you typically don't want to sing the same thing over and over and over. And you want to kind of introduce new stuff. And there's this whole little thing. If you're worshiping, you got through. I think his job is tougher than mine. And, and so, but, I, but it was this one moment. And it just stuck out to me because he's like, man, I'm, I'm throwing it all out the window. And, and, I just, and it was just this spirit-led moment. And I'm just here to tell you, friends, that structure is okay. But what we need more than structure is the Spirit of God. So we need more than structure, more than all of it is that, that, uh, that willingness to say, hey, God, here I am. And I kind of am set in my ways, but I'm going to confess that to you. And more than me, I want you and I want you to mold me and make me into your image, not into my shape, not into who I want to be. I want to be like you. And so um, there's just there's just good stuff in there. We've just got to be moldable. OK, uh, number three. As we are, we need to encourage others to do the same. Encourage others to do the same. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. All right, be moldable, right? Don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns you away from the living God. But, but encourage one another daily. Get this, as long as it is called today. Friends, what is today? It's today, isn't it? Right? Guess what? Yesterday was today for us. You know what tomorrow is going to be? It's going to shock you. Tomorrow, when we wake up, it's going to be today. God says, as long as you've got breath in your lungs, as long as it is today, you encourage one another to be moldable to Jesus, as long as it is today, which means something. It means that you've got to stop worrying about what's going to happen in the future and focus on today. Am I being molded in the image of Jesus today? It means that you've got to stop feeling guilty about your past, because guess what? That was yesterday, and it's not yesterday anymore. It is today. And as long as it is today, would you be encouraged to be moldable into the image of Jesus? Because that is God's will for your life. That he could take you and make you into something beautiful. Because that's how it all began. It was just mud and dirt, wasn't it? And the creator of all things. My mind, really cool. Bent down in all that dirt. And I, I just, I'm trying, can I confess, I stink at sandcastles, right? I mean, I'm horrid. 
horrid. I have to use the pails and the buckets, you know. The people that make the really elaborate stuff, I look at them like, oh my gosh, you need to get a job. Um, and y'all don't think that when you see them? Like, hey, go do, I'm just joking. I don't, I don't have any of the artistry in me. But man, I just imagine at the beginning of time and, and, and you say, man, this guy's crazy. He believes God made us out of dirt. I do. I, I, because of the beauty in it, that God takes the most common everyday thing that you forget about that is thrown out by man needs to be swept out of the house that needs to be cleaned out of the clothes he takes the mire and he takes the muck and he reaches down and he he, he just he makes it into something that looks pretty good right and you're like hey that was a pretty good sandcastle <laughs> you must do this for a living huh and he does the amazing and he just bends down right there he just breathes it's right into the nostrils. And I, I imagine with that breath that he just said, life. It just as he did, to try to think of the very first times that Adam's eyes opened. <laughs> and he saw God. So that's what I think about when I die, when I'm gone, and my eyes open, like for real. I see God. And I'm going to say, yeah, that was awesome. Man, I'm going to look. Oh, my gosh. We're going to be just in amazement at, at how, how awesome our creator really is. Friends, as long as it is today, would you encourage others to be moldable into the image of God? As long as it's today. By the way, tomorrow will be today. So will the next day when you wake up, it'll be today. Every day you put your warm feet on the cold floor, it'll be today. Number four, last one. <clears throat> I want to encourage you to finish well. To finish well. Um, this is a change in mindset. It means we've got to keep the end in mind. I, I want to, you to hear me. This is pretty cool. Um, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, because of all that you've heard... Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, okay, because we can still enter the rest that, that there is in Jesus, what should we do? It says, be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So don't choose the chaos, man, choose the rest, don't fall short of it. And listen, I love Moses and I love his life and I love everything that he did. And, and I look back and go, gosh, that man was a leader. To go into a bunch of stubborn people and not just say, I want to kill you, right? I mean, I mean, God did it for him. He's like, oh, stubborn people, I'm going to swallow them up. <laughs> I mean, like there are days pastors think that would be awesome, right? Just in church, everything's going well. There's somebody there with a sour face in the back and all of a sudden the pew goes. Whoop. I wonder, does it spit them back out? And they're like, ah, Jesus, everything's awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Um, Lego movie, go watch it. Number four, finish well. This is keeping the end in mind. The promise of rest still stands, so don't fall short of it. Jesus provides rest. Don't fall short of that rest. As long as today is the day. I encourage you, brothers, with all that I have, find your rest in him. And it'll be totally worth it.